Hello, thank you for joining me on Humanities Radio. I'm Jana Cunningham with the University of Utah College of Humanities, and today we're talking about Afrofuturism, a term that may be new to you, but a genre and movement that you're most likely familiar with. Crystal Rudd's Assistant Professor of English is with me to discuss more. For those unfamiliar with Afrofuturism, can you begin by explaining what exactly it is? Sure. It, it's hard to be exact because there are so many aspects of it. But loosely or briefly, Afrofuturism is its an intellectual philosophy and, and, and now a cultural movement um, that, you know, brings together an investment in the African diasporic past uh, with the possibilities of technology. That's probably the shortest way to to define it. So how is it different from sci- traditional science fiction? You know, it's, it's actually much broader than science fiction. Um, there is definitely um, a segment of literature that would be considered Afrofuturist or speculative um, Black science fiction. But the Afrofuturist movement actually incorporates music, art, um, architecture, uh, DJing, dance, fashion. So it's a lot broader than that. Although in terms of science fiction, um, one of the contributions or interventions that Afrofuturism makes is to, you know, confront or revise representations that have traditionally either excluded, you know, marginalized people or um, imagined them in kind of problematic ways. And why do you believe it's important for representation? Um, well, you know, we, we learn so much through representation and particularly in the, you know, digitized world or century that we're in. Um, there's so many images that um, circulate before people actually get to know what they're looking at personally. And so um, representation has always been a key site of kind of ideological conflict, as you can tell from our American politics. Um, but I also think that it's a, it's a key site for, you know, communication and um, forging new relationships and understandings of difference. And as we're exploring Afrofuturism, whether it's a movie or a piece of artwork or music, does it, or I I guess I should say, how does it allow us to better understand African-American culture, history, traditions, and does it? Um, I think it does. I think it has the potential um, if you know what you're reading or looking at. So that's kind of why I think, you know, courses like Dr. Andrew Shepard's speculative fiction course that he's teaching this semester are so great. Um, And of course, I'm teaching next spring are helpful because um, in these various mediums, what you see is a lot of kind of um, hybridity and fusion and so, for example, in Wagenshi Mutu's artwork that you can see at the UMF, at UMFA right now, um, she's constantly playing with materials that might be um, specific to um, Africa and kind of, you know, mixing them up in a contemporary context. But if you don't really know the context and you're not completely sure how to read her work, 
Um, similar example with N.K. Jemison's uh, Broken Earth trilogy, which, you know, she has said in interviews is, is kind of an allegory of the enslavement and objectification of, you know, peoples of color, um, you know, specifically African-Americans. But you, it's possible to read her novel and not pick up on that at all and just kind of get caught up in the world of it. So it's important to probably already understand African-American history and culture in our country um, when to better appreciate Afrofuturism? I think it leads to better appreciation. I don't know that it necessarily has to take place first. Um, So, you know, when you think about the reception for Black Panther, which, you know, stems from a comic and the 70s, I mean, people love that movie. I mean, it's a superhero film. It was very, very accessible um, and really easy to see the impact and the beauty of of African culture um, and the sentiment, you know, that African-Americans have about it. So it can happen either way. Do you think um, Black Panther created a broader interest in Afrofuturism? Because I feel like, I mean, was that a turning point for the popularity of Afrofuturism? You know, that's such a great question. And it's one that got debated a lot um, when the film came out because, you know, Afrofuturism has such a long history. Um, But I think, yeah, Black Panther definitely, you know, kind of put the term itself in the spotlight. But I also think convergences between, you know, independent artists taking advantage of social media, virtual platforms for like concerts and festivals and, you know, these other kind of cultural manifestations of Afrofuturism have also kind of helped it to gain the traction that it seems to be gaining. Um, And, you know, even within academia, you know, since probably like, I don't know, 2000, we've seen more academic conferences on this topic. And so that also um, lends to its its, uh, popularity. Who were some of the more notable Afrofuturists and what was their contribution to the genre? How far do you want to go back? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Maybe some like all the way back as as far as you can think, and then maybe some more current. (laughs) Yeah. So from a literary perspective, um, we could look to W.E.B. Du Bois and the novelist and editor Pauline Hopkins um, for their imaginations of travel um, to Egypt and other worlds, and even Du Bois's uh, concept of double consciousness and kind of projecting or questioning whether racial reconciliation would be possible. Um, so that's kind of an early instance of Afrofuturism. Um, in terms of its musical context, most people look to uh, Sun Ra and musicians like George Clinton as being precursors for like Erica Badu and even you know EDM in terms of some of the uh, innovations in electronic sound. Um, that you hear through this music um, from a, uh, you know, more maybe academic perspective. Actually, Alondra Nelson, who was just appointed um, to, I think it's the the director for science, um, science and society for the White House, actually, 
Um, she is um, an academic and critic who's been writing about Afrofuturism for a long time um, and asking us to think about the digital divide and the ways in which um, African Americans have both been used by medical technology in kind of some negative ways, um, but also the ways that we could leverage um, technology as well. Um, so those are kind of maybe some of the bigger names. Are you mainly teaching Afrofuturism literature or do you go into all the genres of Afrofuturism in your courses? So in my previous institution, I taught mainly focused um, on literature. Next spring, I'm really excited about collaborating with a music professor, Professor Elizabeth Corbello and her electroacoustic ensemble because we really want to think about the interdisciplinarity of Afrofuturism. And so for on my end, for English students or whomever might sign up for the class, we would definitely be looking at um, fiction and nonfiction um, texts that kind of elaborate the frameworks of Afrofuturism. But because there's such a, a connection between the music and the visuals um, and the written art, we plan to bring in guest artists. We want to think about, you know, album covers, DJing, and, and how all of these are kind of making an argument for alternative futures um, where more people's stories can be told. And that, that's, that class at, with the Department of Music is next spring, right? Yes, it is scheduled to be listed as English 5225, um, and we're actually crossing our fingers to get a D grant to support it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's slated for next spring. And I know this class is new, but um, in your previous classes, how familiar are your students with Afrofuturism when they enter the class? That is a great question. So <laughs> at my previous institution, um, which is Malcolm X College in Chicago, I taught predominantly uh, Latinx and African-American students. And in this particular class, I had a class of all Black women, and only one of them had ever heard of Afrofuturism, Black science fiction, speculative work, you know, at all. They were wow. very, very unfamiliar um, and, you know, so it was a journey. It was a journey for them to engage with what can seem like very strange imagery. Um, but one of the things that I love about this movement is that it also helps us to think really practically about how technology touches our lives, right? So by the end of the semester, those same students were trying to imagine how they could use technology to um, improve mental health in their communities. And I even had a student brainstorm an app that would connect teens to therapists, which now, you know, because of the, the pandemic, um, virtual therapy is like so popular. But in, what was this, I think 2015, it really, it really wasn't. And so this student was, was giving herself permission to imagine a future that she couldn't see yet. Wow. And so, is the term, or you mentioned the movement of Afrofuturism, is it continually changing? Um, I think that it is. And I think that it's going to continue. So again, thinking about its kind of early um, appearances as really kind of these spectacular performances by funk musicians in the 70s 
to expand to a more kind of academic um, focus that was largely U.S.-based, to be honest, and thinking about kind of like how African-Americans could incorporate Egyptology and, um, you know, what it looked like for us to now this kind of more global music or global, excuse me, movement that's I think more expansive and there are a lot of different interests in the use of Afrofuturism as well. Um, a theorist that, you know, I'm currently following um, who works out of West Philly. She's actually a housing lawyer um, and a visual artist. Her name is Rashida Phillips and she's one of the founders of the Black Quantum Futurist Collective. And they're really interested in actually de-emphasizing the future, but thinking about temporality in kind of an open um, Afrocentric way. So that also fits under Afrofuturism, but it's not the same as, as science fiction. They want to think more about, you know, how do we change the gentrification imaginary that disproportionately impacts poor people? Before we go, because our time is about up, would you or could you recommend some literature to our listeners who are new to Afrofuturism? And even if they're not new, what is some of the literature do you, do you think our listeners should read? So if you're new to Afrofuturism, I would recommend picking up Yatasha Womack's Guide to Afrofuturism. It's really, really accessible and she kind of explains the whole movement. Um, if you're, you know, kind of, you know, in know about it. Um, anything by Octavia Butler, also, <laughs> obviously. Um, but, you know, I think I love Alexis Pauling Gum's work, who she works in academia. She writes poetry um, and she thinks in really interesting ways about Afrofuturism. Um, Greg Tate is a cultural critic. And so you can find any of his articles on the web uh, about Afrofuturism. So that's a good introduction. That was Crystal Rudd's Assistant Professor of English. For more information about the College of Humanities, please visit humanities.utah.edu.